You're listening to Counter Talks, Canada's podcast for the equipment and event rental industry. Counter Talks is a presentation of Canadian Rental Service Magazine. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery. Hi and welcome to Counter Talks. Today I spoke with Julie Davis, the Director of Workforce Development for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Uh, Julie and I just really had a great conversation. Um, she's really knowledgeable on the topic of uh, developing labor and, and reaching out to young people. She uh, worked for uh, many years uh, connecting youth with uh, employment opportunities, and, uh, and, and I think she's just a, just a great asset for their program there. Um, we got into uh, how the AEM, through their workforce development program, is trying to encourage young people to enter industry, uh, the trades industry generally. Of course, AEM is focused on uh, equipment manufacturers, but really a lot of their program and a lot of what she had to say is is applicable to the rental industry as well, because it's really about finding those people who are going to uh, uh, want to come in to take on mechanics roles, drivers roles, uh, even counter staff roles, and and become involved at any level in the equipment industry and and, and the approach for both for the factories and for, uh, I think, a rental store are uh, quite a bit the same. Uh, We got into their efforts and initiatives to connect uh, companies and youth, uh, talked about what they're going to be doing at Con Expo this year to to really reach out and get uh, uh, some people involved with coming to the show and seeing what the industry has to offer. we also got into some more higher level uh, philosophical stuff about why it's so hard to find good workers these days. Um, you know, we're in this new condition of close to full employment, uh, certainly in the U.S. and almost there in Canada. And uh, and we talked about, you know, millennials and, 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 and what they're looking for in the workplace, uh, which, of course, has been a big topic for everybody. And, and Julie just had some some great thoughts on that. Um, and one of the refreshing things I thought about uh, about Julie's approach and the AEM's approach is, you know, they're they're not looking for a for a top down solution here. They're not looking for for governments to do a lot of things. She's really focused on finding ways that companies can help themselves uh, to to locate the workers that they need and to uh, encourage young people to look at the industry and get involved. Um, and, uh, I, I thought that was refreshing and she actually has some terrific and, uh, very applicable tips that any rental store could use to, uh, to try to help them, uh, attract people and, and, and get better people, uh, into the store. So please enjoy, uh, Julie Davis from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Okay. We're here today with Julie Davis, the Hi. Director of Workforce Development uh, for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, maybe more commonly known as AEM. Julie, how are you today? I am doing wonderfully. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on to Counter Talks today. Um, we're. Uh, why don't we just start out by you giving us, uh, I guess, a bit about your yourself, what you're doing with uh, the Workforce Development Group, and uh, and AEM generally. Sure. Um, I uh, absolutely am passionate about workforce development, came from a background in corporate training and economic development, and then uh, for the past eight years took a role uh, at a boys and girls club here where it was kids that were probably unlikely to go on to college, but very likely to go into a workforce trade skill um, arena and spent a lot of time building partnerships with manufacturing in the community that that was in, really valuing the the fact that uh, those were great career opportunities for those kids. So I was delighted to be able to join AEM um, and really start this position about six months ago. And it's really, a, as we all know, a, a situation that um, is critical for the success of our industry sector. Coming in, uh, I did have kind of a predecessor in Kate Foxwood. She is uh, working out of our of our DC office uh, and took the role, kind of got it started. Um, but her focus is on advocacy, and so AEM really grew this workforce position into a separate full time position. So she also has a team member, Megan Ev- uh, Evans, who continues they kind of collaboratively take the workforce advocacy role on while I am exploring other opportunities here. 
And then, of course, the leadership at AEM as they looked at workforce, uh, they have really been active and responsive in listening to membership uh, about the workforce issue and really have spent some dedicated time creating a strategic plan for 2023, supporting the workforce needs of our members and really looking at what we can do. And then uh, I also have to kind of, as we look at the team of workforce, we have a dedicated workforce committee that is really made out of our membership um, and they are there to kind of guide, advise and help steer our efforts. So. That's a little bit about myself and uh, our kind of workforce team here at AEM. Wow, you you know that th- th- that's really a lot of uh, a lot of resources to de- to dedicate to that. Um, it 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 it's great to see uh, you know AEM put, put, putting such an effort into it. Sorry, how how many how many people would you say are involved in this workforce team overall? I, I am a department of one right now. However, I am a department of one that is supported by our um, Washington office and by our leadership team and also by a workforce committee of, you know, various manufacturers and members of AEM that is about 18. So uh, although I might not have a big department, I have a lot of people that are really lending their efforts to this. Well, it's it's more than it's more than a lot of other industry associations are doing. Uh, even having one person that uh, completely dedicated to it, so that's a that's a that's, that's a tremendous uh, a tremendous commitment to the issue. So, um, I guess tell me uh, tell me a little bit about what you're working on uh, uh, right now. What are some of the initiatives that are that are on your plate? I would be happy to do that. Um, as you know, AEM is involved in hosting some very excellent trade shows. Uh, and one of my first endeavors as I started was working um, at the utility show in Louisville called IQ, where we held a career skills event. And um, working with an organization called Bridging America's Gap, we brought over 200 students in ages 16 to 23 to the event. And we broke that event up to kind of talking with the kids in the morning about specific industry trade skills. And then in the afternoon, they went on to the exhibit floor where they were able to get a real sense of the scope of the industry and meet the players. Um, That program was a huge success and really inspired us to do something even bigger at ConExpo ConAg, which is coming up in March. Are you familiar and your members familiar with ConExpo ConAg? They, they, they are, in fact, flying me down there. Uh, okay, awesome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I actually, I've never, I've never been to that one before, um, just because uh, it, it, it was an American show, and I, I had a lot, like we have like five, four or five rental shows every year up here in Canada, and, and I have to go back and forth across the country to get to all of those. So I've never been able to uh, carve out the time to get down to, to Con Expo. My, my sales manager always went. Um, and uh, but, but this, year I, this year I'm going and, and the sales are going. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get a look at this thing, but I've, I've heard all about it and I know it's massive. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, um, I am as well. This will be my first time at Con Expo Con Ag. And Um, In addition to it being my first time, I am creating a brand new workforce solutions area as part of the exhibit space out in the festival lot. Mm. And so um, this is going to be a whole new try, really focusing on how can we talk about the workforce problem and challenge in the industry and what are the solutions that we can um, help attendees walk away with so that they have a couple of ideas. So that workforce solutions area, which you should come and visit me at, oh, I uh, is really, okay, perfect. <laughs> it's going to sh- serve as a demonstration space to showcase best practices, specifically around recruitment. You know, as we look at workforce development, I think one of the things that we really need to put on the table is that we cannot recruit skilled trade workers like we would recruit a bookkeeper, right? Yes. So, um, yeah, I was just, I was just, well, and I was, I was just thinking that is, is expo- the exposure element of it that you mentioned, like just getting the young people in touch with, with the people is so, is so critical, right? Like, it really is. And, and, you know, we are going to, um, as part of this 
uh, workforce solutions space, uh, the booths that we have in that space are really going to focus on interactive, hands-on engagement ideas um, so that attendees will walk away with, oh, I could do this in my community and it would be a much better way for me to engage with the youth that I want to recruit um, or even adults because trade skills um, employees really want to get their hands on things. And so, um, you know, when we did this at IQ, the students had no idea of what the vastness of the industry was. They had no idea um, how many companies really were in this industry. And, you know, I, IQ versus ConExpo, ConAg, there's no comparison. Um, so it's going to be great. But as part of this show space, Thursday and Friday, we plan on bringing three to 500 students in um, each day from the local school district area and basically using those booths as a demonstration uh, of how successful engagement can be. So those kids will be there. We're working with Skills USA Nevada, um, where they will have some of their members that uh, are working in trade skills and learning those trades in school um, come and demonstrate their, their trade skills that they're learning. So there'll be a lot of really cool things going on in that workforce solutions space at ConExpo, ConAg. We're pretty excited about it. So come and, come and check it out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just such a great point because, um, you know, I, I, I remember coming out of school myself, um, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. You know, you're looking around and, and, and thinking about jobs that you want to do, and, and you, you just have no concept of the, uh, the, the, the size and the breadth of opportunities that are out there in, in, in different industries if you haven't, you know, been exposed to it growing up, you know. And, uh, and I remember when I, when I came out, I, I had a journalism degree, but uh, th there were no jobs in that at the time. And, uh, and uh, I got into, uh, you know, more or less connection from my father. I got into selling machine tools. Well, I had never even taken a shop class in, in, in high school. And I had no concept of the, of the, the you know, the size of manufacturing and the, and, the, and the number of things there were to do there. And, you know, it's different. And it's different these days. I mean, going way back, you know, when, 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 when some huge percentage of the population worked on farms, um, you know, everybody would have at least some sort of, some sort of tangential contact with, with trades and hands-on work and that kind of thing, right? These days, all the, all the urban kids, they don't know anything about this stuff, right? They've never had to make anything with their hands in their lives. So, so there's really, it, it's got to be an eye-opener to them just for them to see what's there on the floor, right? It is, and that is part of why um, when, when we as an industry sector are looking at doing recruitment and, you know, career fairs and manufacturing days, that is exactly why we really need to move to a hands-on, interactive, engaging experience, because not only do they get excited when they see it, but when they actually are able to get their hands on things that they've never done before and try it that can be the hook that really sucks them in. And so um, that is what this space is really meant to, to give people ideas of, you know, you might not know how to hands-on demonstrate uh, for a technician job. That's where you need to come to this space because we will give you some ideas that you can go back and be like, ah, oh, this is great. The members can take away and, and do in their, own, in their own areas. Yeah, that's good. Exactly. Something that I'm really pretty excited about um, and I know is going to be almost a constant uh, work for me or constant um, project is we are looking at a workforce solutions toolkit. And as we looked at this, uh, we really know that every company is at a different point along the workforce development spectrum. And some companies may not even have a dedicated HR person. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, some companies have their own training centers. And so we wanted to put together an online toolkit of ideas, best practices, resources, articles, and templates that will give our members a selection of ideas to choose from regardless of where they are along that workforce development spectrum. Um, so we're hoping to really create a guided experience for companies based on what their current engagement is as well as who the audience is that's using the tool. Um, part of that audience differentiation is going to be having a pathway for C-suite decision makers 
and kind of a separate pathway for HR professionals who are more of those implementers. When we think about how we as an association can benefit our members, many of whom are small to mid-sized companies, kind of the idea of taking the burden of research and identification of best practices off of their shoulders and providing that as summarized information with links to deeper dives seems like a really great way to support our membership. And so we are hoping to have the at least the initial stage of that out to launch in March. So I think that that's going to be a really exciting tool that uh, people can benefit from. Would, would those tools in your mind be generic enough that, I mean, I mean your focus is equipment manufacturers, right? My, my, the people listening to this podcast are, are kind of one, one level up the chain from that uh, in that they're renting the equipment that these guys make. Um, would they, but would they be able to take those workforce development tools that you guys are showcasing and possibly apply it to, to their businesses? Um, because it seems to me recruiting and attracting uh, 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 trades and, and skilled trades and, and not even necessarily skilled trades, just, just people interested in working in the industry would be the same really at, 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 at both those levels. Would, does that sound right to you? Yes. And, you know, really, um, I came out of running my own organization and I have a real appreciation for somebody who is wearing a million hats and somebody who, um, you know, whose plate overflows every day and you can't get everything done that you need to get done. And so as I have been thinking about designing this toolkit, what I really understood is that um, people that run companies, especially small to, to medium-sized companies, they're wearing a million hats. They're running at a million miles a minute. And so creating this toolkit for them where they have really summarized information, um, where it's a guided experience, so you don't have to search. You're not, if you're a small business, you're not going to get the same resources as somebody who already has a training center. Um, you know, and then I've done the research for you and I've identified a plate of best practices that you can cherry pick from where if that idea makes sense for you and your community, that is what you'll use. Even the idea of having templates where if you don't have a marketing department or even a marketing person, um, you don't have to struggle with, oh my gosh, what should this look like? you can literally just look at a template and be able to get, you know, some professionally designed ideas for whatever program you decide you're going to do. Again, I think it's really about how do we get the best information in a consolidated and summarized way out to the people who really need it and don't have time to do all of that research themselves. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's the same, whether you're, whether you're looking for a mechanic and a driver in a rental store, or whether you're looking for a, a, a worker on a factory floor, right, to make equipment. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same sort of approach you have to take to, to, to a great extent. It's just the, the differences in the details. Yep. And that, that is exactly it. And, and my goal is to have a variety of, you know, options and opportunities. So if, somebody doesn't really like one idea, they still have three others to pick from. Yeah. So um, that's, that's the goal. I don't know that that is going to be fully developed by March, but that's where we're going. So. Tremendous. Okay, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier uh, 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 filling the gap in America. The, the, the gaps we're worried about up here are the ones that are in Canada. Um, how do you, <laughs> what is, uh, are, are, you, are you guys active in Canada with any of this, Julie, or are the plans to be? Yeah, so, um, you know, everything that I am working on, um, you know, the toolkit, uh, ConExpo, ConEgg, really identifying best practice, um, doing industry research, all of that is really applicable to Canada. Um, it's yeah. really doesn't matter where you are. Mm -hmm. And so it's very um, standard. I think that um, the one thing that is specific to Canada that I would really encourage is we are working on forming partnerships as an organization with other youth serving organizations that create a talent pipeline for us. And so for in the United States, it would be Skills USA, FFA, Junior Achievement, AFA. Um, Canada, those would be like working with Skills Canada. Yep. And there's yep. also the Try a Trade and Technology programs that Canada has. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my one piece 
of advice to the um, organizations in Canada is if you have either a Skills Canada or a Try a Trade program um, or any other locally developed nonprofit program that is doing something to develop skilled trades in your community, you must be working with them. You must be supporting them, have your employees go and volunteer, offer some job to, you know, job shadowing or um, even just company tours. Uh, you know, those are the those are the companies that are doing the heavy lift for us. And they're also your fishing pond of, you know, potential recruitment. And so you really need to be connected to them. And so, um, you know, that that is probably the most specific advice that I would have for Canada. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a tremendous piece of advice, and and there there really is. I know that Skills Canada is doing different things in different places uh, all the time, and uh, and and you know those are those are great events, great jumping off points. A, a lot of forward-looking companies have done quite a bit of work with uh, uh, community colleges and universities too, and been able to reach a lot of young people that way. So it's uh it's something uh it's something everybody should be looking at that's that's great advice let's get philosophical i guess a, a little bit julie what why do you why do you think we face this this sort of ongoing struggle complaint whatever you want to call it uh to to get the the people that we need uh in our businesses what 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 is what is the what is the source of the this this ongoing shortage that we've been hearing about for decades in uh, in in skilled uh, skilled workers, trades workers, uh, people want and unskilled workers for that matter. All right, so I'm going to give you my totally unfiltered personal perspective on this. So um, yeah, so welcome to me. Um, you know, when I began this position, um, I really started, and, and again, I had a farm background, but did not work in this industry sector, um, was very familiar with it because of my background in economic development. But when you really walk into this industry sector, um, I wanted to really, you know, focus on understanding it. And so I did a lot of research, and one of the most obvious things that I saw from an outside perspective is that we as an industry sector have not told our story effectively for like 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of our biggest challenges is that, um, you know, our industry perception is that we are an industry that has backbreaking work, that is dirty, dark, and dangerous. Um, and really we need, to, we need to change that story because the story has changed. We just haven't told anybody. Um, and we really need to change that to that the work that is being done is clean in well-lit environments, using the latest technology with equipment that is doing the heavy lifting. Um, so I think as we look at it, it is a lot about um, keeping our light under a bushel basket and not saying anything for a really long time. And now we have the very heavy lift of telling our story, telling it well, and telling it loudly. And um, I will also give you my, my truest perspective of how that happens. And it's not going to be popular because it really puts a lot of um, onus on the companies in this industry. And it, it really is, is true change happens at the grassroots level when companies become engaged in their communities they open their doors and they invite their community in to see the transformation that's taken place. They help parents and teachers to see the value that trade skill jobs have. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as much as I can be enthusiastic about workforce development at um, an association level, my real work will be in giving every company the support, the ideas, the um, help in any way that I can to make those changes at home. Um, one of the reasons that we're doing the, the research uh, that we will be doing on our membership um, and we'll be looking at, you know, what their pain points are in workforce development, we are also going to spend some time looking at what are you doing for workforce development in your own organization. And I think that will give us a baseline to say, okay, where do we have the opportunities to improve and grow? Um, are those segmented by, you know, rural versus urban? 
um, organizational size, how can we better support those gaps? Um, but the bottom line is change happens in your backyard and the only person that can make that change happen is really those local organizations as they start engaging with their community and telling their story. That just great points. And, 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 and I just, I, I, you know, weighing, weighing in from, from my perspective that, that absolutely dovetails with, with everything I've been thinking about this for, for, for years now. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that you came from a farm background because now I feel like a genius for mentioning uh, the move from farms to urban later, uh, <laughs> earlier, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyways, it, it, but I, that, yeah. that, that's such a, like, Julie, don't you, don't you agree? That's like structurally, right? I mean, you know, I guess now we're looking at society, right? Like structurally, mm -hmm. that's so important, right? Because, because you used to have all these kids coming off farms who, who understood working with their hands. And then by the time, I come along because I'm, I'm the first generation off the farm in my family, right? I grew up in suburbs and, and, and we're sitting there in grade eight and I remember vividly like it was yesterday, our, our, our grade eight teacher when talking about applying for high school courses that we needed to try to get into advanced, our, like the advanced stream in the high school courses or else we'd end up in a factory with smoke blowing around us. That, <laughs> right and right and that's you we all know we all heard it right this was early 80s and and yep. this was this is this is the line coming out of the education system the thing is kids haven't changed there's always going to be people that want to be working with books and computers and typing and writing and doing all this university type of stuff and that's great right but there's also going to be lots of kids and it's just as great that like to work with their hands and do something, you know, physical, uh, either outside or, or making something, right? And that's, it takes just as much brains. Believe me, you wouldn't want me trying to make you anything with my hands. And, and, and that's, that's, really the, that's really the breakdown, isn't it? Is, is, is somehow we've moved so that, so that we're kind of failing the, 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 the ones that, that used to be so well served coming out of the farm environments and, 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 and moving into manufacturing, we're, we're just failing this huge section of the, of the kids. We, we really are. And um, part of that failure has been, again, getting back to not telling the industry story yeah. about the transition from, you know, what we used to be to what we are in, you know, really technology driven, um, you know, manufacturing and just, the change in equipment and what it can do um, in that also, you know, just to kind of take a tangent here um, is not telling that story has barred this industry from really recruiting from the 45% of the population that are women. And, you know, we have such a low uh, representation of women in our industry section. And that's also part of forgetting to tell the story about how equipment um, is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for us and uh, how physically, you know, you don't have to be a big burly man to work in this industry sector. You can come in and have great success and opportunity as a woman um, and as a minority. So I, that was my tangent of the day. No, that I, I love tangents. That that's what podcasting is all about. I, that that no, that's that's absolutely correct and great. And 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 you know, I, I I think about you know, and it's it's gotten a little better better in some in some places at least around here. I, I go to a lot of like on the I, I have another magazine on the on the that for window and door manufacturers, and so I see more on the manufacturing floor there. And and I've definitely noticed a, a greater uh, penetration of of women there. And you know what? They love their jobs. They're smiling. They're happy. They have great friends everywhere. And 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 it has, you know, it's it's all automated. There, there's nothing to do with you know, banging a rivet into a into a steel pipe anymore. I mean, that's 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 not how uh, that's not how this work is done. So we definitely yeah. I, I agree with you. You need to get that message out there, right? Absolutely. So that segues actually nicely to 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 the next thing. You're talking about missing, you know missing a percentage or, or, or missing some of those, those people that, that could, could do well in the industry, but just don't because they think, you know, maybe they think they have to go to university or they think that that's, you know, the only, the only place to, to be able to pursue a, I, 
I guess, for lack of a better word, a more intellectual uh, 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 work, work environment, work career. Um, one place that's fixed that or that doesn't seem to have that problem is Germany. They have this unbelievable vocational system um, where you can you, you, just about everybody takes a trade when they're when they're when they're younger, and then they can move. And then because of their their, their system, they can move from the trade into various kinds of engineering and software and all these different higher level disciplines and go all the way up to PhD level educations at places like the Rosenheim Institute in, in, in trades and engineering and technology. And of course we know what the impact of that has been on the German manufacturing sector. They're, they, they dominate the entire world. And, and so like to me, have, have you guys, have you guys looked at that example at all? Is that, is that something you guys are aware of? Um, you know what, I am familiar, and uh, certainly I think that uh, German vocational system is first class, uh, you know, absolutely best practice type of thing. Yeah. Um, culturally, I don't know that we could ever completely adopt that, um, yeah. but I think that our, our opportunity is to look at what can we take away from the German model and how can we utilize those things to build a better program here, and I think that there are a lot of companies, um, especially companies who might, you know, be international um, printed companies who are really looking at how can they take it and, and kind of fit it into the cultural opportunities that are in the United States or, or Canada. Um, I would say that one of the best opportunities that I see coming in is a transition from time-based apprenticeship programs to competency-based apprenticeship programs. I don't know if you have seen that um, going on at all. I think that fits culturally um, with us very well. I think it's a huge opportunity. And it's especially true for adult learners that might be transitioning careers. So in that competency-based apprenticeship program, it uh, gives them credit for life skills that they might already have. It also is a better fit. So there's no guarantee that a you know, fifth year apprentice has the true skill base that they need versus a competency-paced program where they have to demonstrate that they've learned the skills. It also gives you the opportunity if you are a very quick learner to be able to go through your apprenticeship period faster and so, you know, I look at that competency-based uh, apprenticeship program approach as a really good fit for us culturally and also a real win-win for the employer and the apprentice. Um, so again, not sure if you're familiar with that, you know, competency-based apprenticeship, but that is something that I really feel like I can get behind and something that, you know, as I try to support our membership would really encourage companies to take a look at. It's something that I've seen for sure taking root not in the traditional apprenticeship system because let's let's face it those at least here in Canada the the traditional apprenticeship system gets closely associated with unions and the the the, the unions are, are seem resistant to change uh, there, there isn't a lot of interest certainly in getting away from from a time-based system there but what we have seen is and and some of the unions are actually now getting on board and and, and, and participating in this is third party outside of the apprenticeship system training uh, and, and, and worker certification programs coming in with the competency-based system. Just like you said, they, they do still have a, 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 often a service time requirement in there, but it's usually a lot less. And, um, and, and it doesn't require this, this alternating between working and then taking time off to do this course and then working, which drives the manufacturers crazy. You know, if you've got so many years in, then you can take a test and you get your certification, right? You know, it's a practical test. So that, yeah, I, I, I absolutely think that's that's the way it, it should go and the way it should happen. Um, I cannot resist adding the fact that, you know, our workforce shortage is really at a point where we need to let go of some of our past standards um, and really look at innovation and how we're going to fill this workforce shortage. Um, it is beyond huge. And so, you know, again, as we look at 
creating something that might be a hybrid of a couple of different things, um, the emphasis really needs to be on not holding on to our past, but really finding those innovative ways that we can fill that, that shortage um, as quickly and as effectively as possible. Um, I will jump back to the German uh, system and just say, you know, you've got a German system where where the businesses value the credentials that are being created as the um, students journey through that system. And one of the challenges and opportunities, I think, for us as an industry is to really look at how we could start um, valuing uh, credentials and certifications and look at the value that could bring to both manufacturers and employers along with the students. And so, you know, one of my long-term desires, I guess, is to really see that uh, we place a little bit more value on those certifications and, and um, credentials that are starting to be offered um, as a way to, you know, create value to the education that these trade skills workers are getting. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's far too much sneering that goes on in academia uh, about that sort of thing. And, uh, and that, that it's just silly and it's, and it's misguided. The, the other thing, what, what I've often thought that, that, that the, the German thing does, and again, I agree with you on the, on the, on the cultural stuff. There's, there's certainly no, you're not talking about, I, I mean, I think they spend something like $4 billion a year. Uh, of government money on, on, on this program. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's a completely different setup. Um, but the, um, the one thing that you see there is it's this path forward, right? It's this career path that's laid out before you that can go in all these different directions, right? And that's, and, and what's the, what's the complaint? What's the feedback you'll get from a, a high school student who you suggest a trade and what's the feedback you'll get from them? Oh, it's a dead end. It's a dead end. I'm going to do this, and that's all I'm ever going to do, right? And and to me, that that that's the one of the tremendous advantages of 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 having a uh, uh, how would we put it a, a, like a like a revamped or reformed uh, training system uh, would be to show kids at an early stage with, as you say, the valuing of their skills. And then show them a career path forward and a, and a branching path that can lead to all these different things. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree. Um, you know, Gen Z, um, as they are moving forward and the millennial generation, um, they truly value that concept of a career pathway. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to help them to understand that they can start in as a fabricator or assembly or welding. Um, and that doesn't mean that that's where they're going to end. And part of what I really see, again, as an opportunity in telling our story um, is we don't have to wait for massive educational system changes or apprenticeship you know, changes to create those career pathways for our own organizations. As an organization, part of a really uh, great recruiting strategy is to have mapped out those career pathways internally. So that when you are at that career fair, you're talking about, you know, why somebody should consider working in that trade skill. Um, you can whip out your own internal career pathway opportunity so that you've got something to show them when they, you know, are wondering about what that career pathway could look like for them. So my, my message is, yes, I agree with you, but I think that um, companies can start doing things locally for themselves that create that career pathway understanding for both, uh, you know, a youth pipeline as well as parents, parents and educators. I, I like it. I love it. Agree a hundred percent that, that, that's something that, uh, that can happen at the, at the employer level. Let's look back. I mean, maybe at your, uh, but maybe pull a couple things out of your toolkit there and, and like specifically, what do you recommend employers do? to try to attract and encourage young people. Do you have, do you have some sp like specific tips that are in there? Yes, you would like me to be bossy and tell employers exactly what they need to do, that's, right? That's exactly what I, I love bossy. <laughs> <laughs> Great, because I am all about tough love. Okay. So um, 
I'm going to give you my list of things that uh, if somebody said to me, what is it that I need to be doing to be successful in my workforce development? I'm going to give you the list. So write them down. All right. Um, the, the first one is to really build your lo local workforce pipeline through community engagement. Um, there is no substitute for starting in your backyard. Um, invite your community into your space and do it more than once a year, right? Um, engage the schools, provide hands-on opportunities to youth to try the trades that you need, offer your employees up to act as volunteers, speakers, mentors, um, basically get into your community and represent your brand and your need. Um, it is up to you to tell your story locally. Most likely your successful workforce pipeline starts in your backyard. And so if you're not out there, they don't know about you and they don't know why and they don't know your need. So get out from behind your walls is number one. Mm -hmm. um, number two is really understanding good recruitment and HR practices and they have changed. And so it is really this change or die climate. So if you have been running an organization for 40 years and you love the way you're doing it, that's great for you. Um, you. You probably are going to struggle if you haven't made some good changes along the way. And so, uh, you know, recruiting and hiring um, your culture, uh, if you don't look at that, um, you're probably not in the running. And younger employees, whether you agree or not, want a different work culture than in the past. And so I think you really need to look at what you can do to meet at least some of those needs. I'm not saying you need to meet them all. I'm just saying do what you can do to meet some of those needs. Number three is, again, work climate and benefits package. Uh, nothing promotes your organization better than happy employees who are in the community talking about their employer. If you don't know what your employees are saying about you, you need to ask. And here's a great thing to do. Um, if you have somebody that you're interviewing, you should say, you know, what do you know about us? What do you think about us? What do you hear about us? And then if you hire that person in three to six months, go and talk to that person again and say, what do you think about us now? What surprised you about working here? What was something that you thought that it was going to be like where it wasn't? Um, and really get a perspective of, that person as they might just start with you and then that person as they have spent time in your walls. And I think that's going to give you a real healthy and realistic picture of, of who you are. And then um, be brave enough to take some steps to make changes uh, if you find out that any need to be made. And then uh, the, the last thing is really recruit from outside the box. Um, there was a time probably 10 to 15 years ago where you had your pick of employees um, because of just economic uh, conditions and the number of adult workers in the workforce. And you could literally just post a job and you would have a, a good number of applicants. Those days are done. So you can't just post jobs and wait for people to come. Um, that isn't really effective anymore. And so I, I like to say, if you, can't, if you can't catch fish from the same fishing hole that you've fished in for 20 years, how long are you going to go back to that fishing hole and be willing to cut, catch nothing? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are lots of opportunities. Um, veterans recruitment, um, hiring from a correctional institute um, that maybe companies haven't thought of, um, maybe they knew about, but they haven't been willing to do. Now is the time to go and consider those things um, because there are a lot of great incentives often to do that. So my message is consider where the new fishing holes are in your area and make a plan to try a new spot. Yeah. Um, you know, even posting or hiring signs uh, in the local strip mall or across from a fast food chain restaurant. Um, you know, those people that are working in those are underemployed people who are looking for what their next step is. I, I don't know too many people who are working at a fast food chain who say, I really want to work here for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I think what we're looking at is, can we entice them to come to a career where they could have better pay, more stability, uh, benefits package, um, and 
you know, invite them right in front of where they're working and walking in every day. Are you tired of, you know, flipping a burger? Maybe you want to come and try this, uh, which can actually be a, a fulfilling career for you. So. Outstanding. Wow. There's, I hope, I hope people were writing that down, Julie, because that's, uh, that's, that's a lot of good advice right there. That's great. Uh, on the, on the attitude thing, we've been hearing so much about the millennials, right? My millennial, this millennial, that the attitude, this, the, the, the expectations that, right. I, I, I get frustrated with it sometimes because I, I, I think it was, um, uh, it was a college football coach a, a while back who, well, it's, it echoes what I said earlier. Uh, kids haven't changed. We've changed, right? Like we're, 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 we're giving them this expectation that, that, that they should be able to, you know, I, well, I don't know what, do something different than, than, than what we did when we were working. Where do you come down on that, Julie? Is, 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 is there really some difference in the, in the, in the kids these days? And, and, and if there is, what is it? I like how you have just thrown a grenade in my direction and you want me to catch it. My job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> so, uh, you know what? I, I ran an organization for eight years that largely employed um, that millennial population. And so in, in every way, I understand, um, you know, being an older leader and working with a generation that in many ways speaks a different language than us. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that as a leader of your organization, um, they are not going to change and try to understand you. A good leader needs to be able to be flexible enough to try to understand them. And also, um, you know, if you really love your organization, you're going to be willing to be flexible in your own thinking and try to understand why they want the things that they do and um, look at how you can maybe creatively meet some of those needs. Um, I don't disagree that as parents and maybe grandparents that we have created this uh, situation. I think that's probably a fair statement. Um, I also heard uh, a millennial speaker say, you know what, older generations, we are simply asking for the things that you all secretly want and have never been bold enough to ask for, you know, a better schedule, more work uh, life balance. You know, why do we have to come into work uh, when we could maybe do some work from home? And you know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, there are some of those things that are pretty darn nice as an older worker that I've never had before. And it's because those millennials have beaten down the path to get us there. So um, that that is kind of, I mean, we could talk about that generation and the transition that they are creating in our job environments um, all day long. But I think that the biggest takeaway is is as a leader of an organization, whether you agree or disagree or think it's fair or not fair, it doesn't matter. You simply are going to need to find the wherewithal to address that issue in your organization and make some changes because they're not going away. Um, just to give you a very quick overview, the boomers, there were 74.6 million baby boomers. Um, there were 65 million generation Xers, there are 75 million millennials. So as we look at the avail available workforce, you're really looking at your millennials as that opportunity to fill that skills gap. Um, so make peace with it. You don't have to agree with it. You just have to make peace with it. Julie, I, it, 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 it's, so, it's so perfect. And I wrote an editorial a couple of years ago about this. Got in a little bit of trouble for it, but uh, I did. And uh, I, I'm a father myself. I've got an 18-year-old. So she would be Gen Z, not, not a millennial, but you know what I mean. And I have been struck for years at how much better they are than my generation <laughs> in almost every way. They are smarter. They are emotionally better adjusted. They are, they, 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 they're physically in better shape. Uh, they're not fighting. They're not getting in trouble with drugs. It, 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 it just seems like 
they just seem to be better, <laughs> better adjusted people uh, uh, for, for, for the most part to me. And the way I wrapped up that editorial, I, I, I said all that. And, 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 and the way I wrapped up the editorial was I said, you know what they are? They're better at getting what they want. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that's frustrating, I think, to a lot, a lot of people is, you know, yeah, if you, were a, if you were a Gen X or a baby boomer, it was this process of, of, of put your nose to the grindstone and take as much abuse as your employer could heap on you for as many years as they wanted to, you know, and, and, then, and then finally maybe somebody would give you a break, right? And the millennials are saying, no, no, why, why would we go through this process? You know, like, let's, let's, let's all, let's all work properly now. I mean, yep. Um, our job shortage in our industry sector uh, really empowers them to say, you know what, there's another job down the street for me if I don't like working with you and I'm going to take it if you don't hear what I have to say. And again, that doesn't mean that they hold us hostage as employers. Um, what it does mean that it is that you probably need to do some updating. Um, I don't think that they are, you know, um, unreasonable. I think that they want to be heard. And I think um, to be successful, you need to listen. So yeah, full employment, Who, whoever would have thought we'd see the day, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's astonishing. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's a new reality that requires a new strategy. Yeah, I think, I think it really does. Really fun conversation, Julie. Thanks so much. Um, tell us, uh, I guess, tell us quickly um, where people can find out more information about your, your, your programs and, uh, and, and how they can get involved with uh, AEM's workforce development. Yeah, um, so because I am fairly new to AEM and our workforce development initiative as a you know, truly dedicated program is fairly new, there will be a new workforce development page on our website in the next month or so. Um, so if they go to AEM.org, um, they are going to be able to connect with AEM. Um, they also you know, should look for that workforce development page that's coming in March. Again, our hope is to have the, the first um, offering of the toolkit rolled out. And then um, at ConExpo ConAg, if they are going to be present, um, the show map will show the workforce solutions area in the festival lot. Um, and they can come in. I will be there for the whole time. So, you know, come over, meet me. If they have questions, um, I'm happy to, you know, be a resource. People can also email me, very easy, jdavis at aem.org. Fantastic. Julie Davis. AM Workforce Development Team, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for joining us for Counter Talks. You can find Counter Talks episodes online at CanadianRentalService.com or on the major podcasting services. Counter Talks is a presentation of Canadian Rental Service Magazine.